Hey y'all, this is D-Rock. This is Cam. And this is The, the Heartbeat. Heartbeat. Welcome back, friends. Season two in the house. <laughs> we are so excited to be back with you guys for another season of The Heartbeat, recorded weekly at The Spigot. For our season two premiere, we are super fortunate to be sitting down with comedian Raggedy Rob Santos. Rob is an actor, stand-up comedian, and mental health advocate who has a new web series, Beige, coming out in early 2022. He's an incredibly interesting person with a fascinating story to tell, and we're thrilled to be bringing it to you. This episode is definitely not safe for work, or for listening around the kids. <laughs> so make sure this is a car listen, please. With, so without further ado, our interview with Raggedy Rob Santos. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's it going, man? Yo, what's good? Nice to have you here, Rob. Appreciate you. <laughs> We're here this week with Rob Santos. Yo. Oh, man, we excited to have you here, man. Thank you. I just woke up too. <laughs> I'm not gonna front. Man's coming here with the uh, the sandals and everything, man. Yeah. I literally live around the corner from here. Uh, nice. <laughs> like I'm not that far at all. Word. All right, man. So let's get started, man. So how did you? Uh, what's your relationship with Harford? How's you? Uh, what's your origin story? I should say. Origin. Well, quick with the uh, my relationship with Harford is um, I, I I hated New Britain and I didn't want to live there anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when I came back from New York um, after my girlfriend, she was with child, mm-hmm. we decided to come back to Connecticut. We moved to New Britain. I wasn't feeling it because that's my hometown. Mm-hmm. And we just, uh, her family came back from Ohio and we decided to move in with them for a little bit in Hartford. And then we just found a place in Hartford and that, I've just been here ever since and Word. sort of feel like an adopted son. Okay. You know, um, as far as my origin story, if you mm-hmm. will, like the superhero in me, mm-hmm. um, I discovered my superpower very, very early. I was about, <laughs> yeah, I was about eight years old. Mm-hmm. And I was playing marbles. This is the 80s. Uh, right. it, was like, <laughs> I mean, it was like late '80s, early '90s. I'm playing marbles. I'm in the. I, I'm from uh, Mount Pleasant Projects in New Britain. Okay. But I l- was living in Melikowski Circle mm-hmm. in New Britain, and at the time, playing marbles, and there's this dude like you guys know what a griot is. Griot. Yeah, a no. griot. So a griot is a uh, in African culture, they're the ones that just pretty much they tell the stories. They keep the stories. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah, of the of the village, mm-hmm. and you know, so there's like a neighborhood griot, if you will, that would be telling stories and making everybody laugh. And uh, I would play marbles, and and I would sit there and I would hear him talk, mm-hmm. but he was talking in a way that I I just it, the rhythm mm-hmm. of how he was saying. He would say something, they would laugh, the laugh would go up. It will stop at a certain point, then he will drop back in with even more words. Right. And I remember saying to my friends, like, yo, do y'all hear how this dude's talking? And like, mm-hmm. yo, yo, just hurry up with your croaker, yo. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I want it, you know, like that type of deal. And that's what I discovered, like, there's something happening here. Like, I didn't, re- I, I just, mm. I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know what it mm. was. And so I just kept experimenting. Okay. Over and over and over, kept, like, saying something. and then Almost like mimicking... What he was trying to do exactly because what I was doing not what he was exactly right because right, I wanted to see what that response was like mm-hmm. because like how can you do that over and over when he wanted to you know mm-hmm. and and I realized it's not just a hundred percent when he wanted to you got to right. have something to say right yeah <laughs> in order for it to be funny and that's how I discovered I was funny 
And then as I was in school, I was like, well, if I can make this person laugh, I can make my mom laugh. I can make my mom laugh. I can make my teacher laugh. I make my teacher laugh. I can make these other. And it just snowballed. And then when I saw like Martin Lawrence and Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, I was like, that's how they do it. Mm. And and then it like fucked my head up. And then that was it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't stop. I didn't stop. And then watching Carlin and uh, uh what was the carol burnett show and oh yeah. one of my favorites yes yes man. Yeah. Lily tomlin you know, all these mm-hmm. women and all these men that were just doing it at such a high level mm-hmm. I, I i fell in love with it oh nice so, yeah and then so how did you get into the how did you break into the industry you just it just happens yeah eventually yeah. you make a choice right mm-hmm. i mean you can't run from destiny like when did you start when did you first time on the stage for i was 14. Mm-hmm. i was 14. Um, actually, no, I might have been younger. <laughs> actually, I was in middle school. So 14, I was high school. Middle school, I was like 13 years old, 12, 13 years okay. old. And I used to be in all the, I used to be in, in these assemblies mm-hmm. that they would have in school. And uh, mm-hmm. and they would always want me. So we'd write a sketch or something like that, and then I'd perform in it. Okay. Yeah, or then I would do a little bit of stand-up, even though I didn't know what that was, because I didn't <laughs> know how to write jokes. <laughs> I would just tell weird stories and... Uh, and then that's how I got into it. I remember there's one place, there's one of these people called uh, Room Service. Mm. And um, they came to my school and I hosted the event and they really liked me and they gave me their card and everything. Oh, nice. Called that card every day. Motherfuckers never hit me back. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them niggas. Uh. <laughs> I met the guy, I met the guy who was, um, who, who gave me the card. He's, he's actually from here. His name is... Uh, June Archer or some oh, shit. Okay. Everyone knows him. Mm-hmm. Fuck him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like just being real. Um, if he ever hears this, it's all good. I have my moment with him already. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like Jordan. I'm very petty. <laughs> very petty. The you last dance petty. Yo, for real. <laughs> I, real a sidebar. The reason you people don't understand this, like Jordan's a psychopath. Huh. Jordan's a crazy person playing basketball. Hmm. He became the greatest basketball player of all time because he wanted his father to love him. Oof. 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 <laughs> I that one up I don't remember seeing that in the last dance. You, if you look at it, the trauma that his father caused him by saying that he's not this or he's not that mm-hmm. caused Jordan to want to be better mm-hmm. every time. See, I'm, I'm thinking it was just his, his big brother beating him down. Nah, man. He wanted his father's love. Wow. He wanted that attention. He okay. wanted that so bad. And what happened is that those craters in his brain got built up from that trauma. Mm-hmm. So what June Archer didn't realize is that he built the trauma in my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just made me a madman. <laughs> so I'm like 13, 14 years old holding his grudge. And then I see him one day and I was like, yeah, man, I remember one time you gave me a card to see if you can help me out in the career. It's like, oh, you know, being a comedian. It's like, oh, wow, okay, what's up, young blood, whatever type shit. He's like, well, what, what, are, what are you doing now? It's like, I'm a stand-up comedian now. Thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> you know, because I, cause I'm weird, so... And then the way you break into this industry, man, like that's how it was. I used to get, I used to always get, people would always see me and they wanted to be a part of what I was doing. So I was sold a dream a lot, mm-hmm. very, very young. Mm-hmm. And we're in Connecticut, you know, if right. I was in New York, it'd be different, you know, I'd be able to move up quickly. And, you know, I wanted to move to New York at 19, but you know, my friends were like, nah, man, that's just weird. Mm-hmm. Don't do that, it's scary out there. So I believed them and my mind, you know, just, protected me right and i didn't go and so but over time i mean 14 like 13 14 years old when i first got up i kept trying it in and out in and out in and out 
at 22, I was, you know, just moved back from Florida. I lived in Tampa for a while when I was in my hospital bed. Because I did acting, too. I loved acting. I loved improv. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it was great. That's I, So I was always around it in high school. Right. Outside, I was always around yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So just to keep the muscle going. Mm-hmm. But then at 22, when I was laying in the hospital bed because my lung collapsed for the second time, I, I said to myself, yeah, I have a condition mm-hmm. where, like, my lung just, I have spontaneous pneumothorax. So it, at the time, I was very... I'm tall and slim, mm-hmm. so it just said fuck it, and then there we there we were, mm-hmm. and so I'm laying in this hospital. Wow. But listen, don't I, the cool thing about it is being in that hospital for that week was the best sleep I ever got. Mm-hmm. You know how yeah. you know how pretty you feel when people are waiting on you hand. Uh, it's the dopest uh, thing ever. Uh, but I made a pledge to myself. I made a choice at 22. I was like, I'm gonna go back to Connecticut. I'm gonna try this, 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 and this. Wait, and so you moved to New York? I moved to New York. Yeah. How so was I, that? How was that experience? So it was crazy. So after that Florida experience, went back to Connecticut. All the stuff that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. none of the shit worked, mm-hmm. and I moved to the city. And, huh. then, and then I said, "Fuck it!" I put all my shit in the car and bounced to the city. To the city, and that's how I got started in comedy. I mean, but how was the uh, the, the industry experience within New York? So it's very. See, this is the thing that comedians out here don't understand. Mm -hmm. They're not willing to sacrifice Hmm. to get on. They're too too egomaniacal. Mm -hmm. They don't understand what it takes to be in this business. Oh, the struggle. The struggle. The grind. It's just just think doing show after show, you know, and yeah, they're getting better, but what they're building towards. So, Mm -hmm. and they're not willing to sacrifice none. So when I went to New York, I was alone. I had... Didn't know my diagnosis at the time because mm-hmm. I live with borderline personality disorder and people with BPD. Was like relationships are like big for us. Uh-huh. Mm. So I'm in New York. My girlfriend. We were together like what was it like? Shit, what year was that? Damn, we've been together like since '02. So it, we were like seven years together at that mm. time. She went to Florida. I went to New York. I just woke up one morning and said I got to bounce. I got accepted into this comedy school called American Comedy Institute for their mm-hmm. year program. Mm. <coughs> I had just saw like this thing they had on Stars Network with Steve Rosenfield, who's my teacher, who I still talk to to this day. Uh-huh. My girl was like, yo, you can be funnier than them. I'm like, all right, bet. So I took their, their three-week program, changed everything. Mm. I went down there, <clears throat> checked it out over and over, and I said, screw it. I'm going to the, got accepted to the year program. I moved out. I moved to, I moved to uh, what was it? I moved to... Um, I moved to Jersey, Elizabeth, New Jersey. And the only reason why, because my favorite comedian, uh, one of my favorite comedians, Kyle Grooms, lived in Elizabeth. So that's mm-hmm. the only reason why I moved there. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know. Uh-huh. But I moved there, hated it, because they wouldn't <laughs> hated it. Hated it. Because they wouldn't let my girl come in the house. So we used to go to a hotel in Rahway, New Jersey and shit and bang out, do what we do, right? <laughs> yeah, I was 25, right? <laughs> we, were, we were kids. And then, um, then I moved to Queens. Hated it. Oh man, hated Queens because there was this. Um, uh, what was it? There was this uh, South Korean woman mm-hmm. who kept my deposit. I, I didn't like the conditions I was living with. It was so bad. You see how we have our drinks hanging like this? Mm-hmm. There'd be ants all over it. Yeah, it oh, was. Gross. They were like commando ants and shit. They would drop from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> like parachute. Yeah, you know, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> It was the craziest shit I've ever been a part of. Oh, 
<laughs> Yo, like, I'm, you think I'm, I'm, I'm not even bullshitting to be funny. That shit is on. <laughs> real. I was like, what the fuck? So I'm like, I'm done. I'm done, man. I got to get out of here. So in between all this, you're doing shows. Do, I'm not even doing a show You're not yet. doing shows. You're this, just trying to... This is right before I... This is right after... I See, this is the thing. This is right after I got accepted into the school. Okay, okay. Because people don't understand how difficult this shit is. Mm, just yeah. to even get on stage. Getting mm. that... So I had to get a living arrangement first. Mm -hmm. So right after I get... I, I, she keeps my deposit. I finally get a spot, an opportunity. I'm living in my car. And uh, I'm living in my car in Secaucus, New Jersey. I'm on my Blackberry trying to find rooms and stuff. I come out of the car and this woman named Julie. She's like, Rob, do you have a place to live? I'm like, no. <laughs> she's, she's like, do you want one? Yes. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, right. And then so she's like, well, I have a place uptown in, 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 in Manhattan. If you want to come take a look at it, you can. I was like, I'll take it. She's like, well, you can't live in it just yet. I'm like, okay, why not? Because technically it's a crime scene. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, well, let me know when it's over. <laughs> so <laughs> when it's over, yeah, I don't know what to say, right? It's like, I, right? It's like, it's like, it's, it's like, there's, you know, there's police tape in front of the door that I want to uh, sleep in. <laughs> yeah. So eventually, it's, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It wasn't even that bad though. Basically, an old guy died in there. Okay. That's all it was. No, that's yeah. not a crime scene. That's somebody dying. Well, no, yeah, but, but like, they had to figure it out just in case uh, the guy uh, next door didn't right. kill him. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Because, you know, there, uh, were, there were other people renting rooms. Yeah, okay. that's good news. To, I mean, that's good advice to, or you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I totally get it. No, trust me. They had well, to. If I, if I die here, bro, it's going to yeah. be a crime scene. Yo, it's like, no, for real. Everyone. Hide yeah. the knives. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're right. Listen, we got, I mean, they'd be like, oh, white dude, we're good. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 Kyle Rittenhouse Part Two. Yeah, exactly. Like it's that's all. Yeah, he he stabbed himself. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. No but intent. That, but no, but that's the thing. So after he left, I took his I took his mattress. I threw it out, and I slept the box spring that that guy died on. And I felt not to sound cheesy. I felt like that man died so I can live. Mm -hmm. mm. Because shortly after that, I went to the comedy school. Mm -hmm. Right after the comedy school. I put my feet to the fucking pavement. I was a maniac. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, every place that I could go to, I was there. Mm -hmm. I didn't give a fuck where it was. I just, it's it's only the only focus I ever had. Mm. And I needed to be in front of people. I needed to get better. I needed to understand how this shit works. And, if, excuse me, and eventually, your name carries weight. Right. But you also have to be good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you also have to be a good person. A lot of people that get put on, man, it's because they're good people, because they know someone else. Mm -hmm. So I came up with guys like Pete Davidson, Ricky Velez, Christy Stefano, mm -hmm. um, my boy Mike Cannon. Hmm. So I came up with a lot of Michael Che. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I watched, I watched Che from a distance, really. I didn't really see Che like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, he, but I know some <laughs> other, my man Nigel Fullerton, he came, we all came up together. Mm-hmm. So the mainstays, the names that you hear of, you know, like seeing Ricky, you know, I'm happy for Ricky because mm -hmm. he's got an HBO special. Yeah. Right. You know, but we used to run and hit the pavement together. Mm. I, Damn. Yeah, man. So we used to follow each other. We used to work at the Broadway Comedy Club, mm -hmm. seating people, doing check spots. 
I remember doing shitty ass fucking prom shows, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like yo, they them kids either wanted to fight each other or fuck each other. Like, that's how bad it was. You know? I go up there, say the N word to these white kids, and you're like, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> right? You you talking to a real nigga right now? But that's how you that's how you get in the business. Yeah, man, it's. It's like that. So, like, so I'm out there. So this is now. This is a shit. Now, this is a thing that people don't understand, especially the young comedians. If you're a young comedian, man, a lot of this shit is not a meritocracy. It's not. Mm-hmm. Mm. So when I started, my name started picking up. I was getting into clubs, but they were telling me like, "Yo, your stuff is more like a one man. Like you're not built for comedy clubs, Rob." So that was in my head. Mm. Yeah, mm. It, it fucked me up because I thought they were rejecting me, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. These motherfuckers are hundred percent right. Huh. 11 years later, I'm making a one man now. <laughs> but during that time, we're all coming up together. We rocking out, doing our thing. And then I started understanding the business. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm getting opportunities here, festivals there, hitting the road, certain places. That's how you break in. Right. And then eventually you do auditions and someone likes you. And then, you know, then you get representative. That's yeah. how it was, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I remember... It, Go back when I was at the comedy school. So this is where you see all this. The gentleman was like, this is talking about the business of comedy. He was like, probably the class I paid attention to the most. Mm-hmm. And not saying, and, and it's all relative because I paid attention. But this one hit me the most. He's like, who are you, who are you different from everyone else? Everybody's mm. funny. Mm. Right. Everybody's good. But how are you different than everyone else? Right. <laughs> and that shit fuck with me. It's like, how are you going to market yourself so that you can be seen before everyone else or in a different way? And the logo mm-hmm. is my hair. Right, right. And that says who I am. When people see the logo, mm-hmm. it changes everything. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's, and I never, and I let that incubate. So then fast forward, like I said, coming up in the business, I'm, work, I'm working on shows with people, you know, friends I just mentioned, people I just... You know, I'm coming up. There's a couple other guys too who came up with, and then all of a sudden, I'm doing these doing check spots, but they're not. Hmm. You know, it's like, what happened? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. I'm losing my mind. I'm going crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's back up. Can you explain what a check stop is? A check spot is so basically, yeah. Check spot is <laughs> it's a shitty spot, um, but it's, <laughs> it, it what it does it it trains you because they drop checks. Okay. So that means like everyone that comes in to buy food and drink, mm-hmm. they'll drop checks at a certain time. And what they'll do is they have somebody specifically go up there who's strong enough to handle that spot. Mm-hmm. I got hit with that spot a lot. Damn. All right. Yeah. So imagine no one's paying attention to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So imagine we're talking, you right. and I, Cam, and then you're over there. Not, mm. <laughs> like, and then you're not even looking. So now I got to tailor my act towards you, Cam. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's like doing a check spot. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you know, so mm. imagine a third of the room. So the way the way they teach you in comedy is you you look left, you look right, you look right, or you look left, and then you deliver your punchline to the middle of the room. Mm-hmm. So now I had to find my middle of the room. Oh okay. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you got one third, the middle, maybe they're not fucking with me because they're because they're all looking at their checks like, hey miss, I didn't order this Bacardi, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't even drink Bacardi, you know, like whatever it is. And so they gotta go back and then once the checks are over and it typically takes like five to seven minutes and then they bring on the next person or the headliner or whatever it was <laughs> because they did they wanted us to eat checks because they didn't want the headliner of the show to have to go through that bullshit. Right. But it's different outside of New York though. Outside of New York, most of the time they let the most of the time, the headliner is already is doing on their doing their set while the checks are being dropped. It's just different. Mm-hmm. So I'm there, 
This is this is where I'm getting entrenched. I'm probably like but two, three years in. My name's carrying weight, doing a lot of dope shit. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm working with these guys and the next week they're doing the, the pro shows. They're being represented by a guy. And I'm like, well, I just one of these dudes. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I used to go to my, my room where I rented uptown with my, mm-hmm. and talk to my girls. Like, yo, I think these guys are doing some shady shit to get put on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think they're sucking a dick to get put on or some <laughs> shit. It's, it's got to be. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, there's, 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 there's got to be. There's just, there's, it's bullshit. It's like, if, and if, if that's the case, I want to do it too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'll, I'll ask you first if it's okay for me to suck a dick to get put on. <laughs> but it's shady, man. Like, and then we left because uh-huh. then I realized. So when I was in New York doing my thing around 2011, I decided it was time for me to go because that's when I started realizing that my mind wasn't right. Mm-hmm. I was worried about getting put on, but not being able to sustain it. So it was like I thought it was like a self fulfilling prophecy or some bullshit of like, of like, uh, you know, self sabotage and being afraid of success. No, mm-hmm. I just really felt like I wasn't willing to do what those guys were doing to get put on, and I was working my ass off. Yeah, and I'm like, <clears throat> I'm just as good as they are, if not better. Blah blah blah. That bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm told myself is whatever those guys are doing, I'm not willing to pay that price to do. Right. And I left. Huh. I left New York City. Off a of principle. Right off a of, off of GP. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I was like, I'm good. I, off a of general principle, I'm gone because I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here I am in, you know, 2011, 2012, holding my baby, watching these guys on the TV shows like I mentioned before we started. Ugh. Some guys using my style and, and having it grow with them. It was painful. Yeah. It was fucking painful. And that's how I broke into the business. <laughs> 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 how did you overcome that yeah that's the key how, i mean that's part of the kicker of like how you are today where you are right now how did you overcome that i'm a project kid all, all we do is <laughs> that's it size projects i understand that. <laughs> yeah, i get yeah. it i that's, get it resilience it, yo it's honestly like one i have there's i have an iron will mm-hmm. and i don't know how to quit that's me. Oh, <laughs> oh, let's yeah. go, son. Yo, let's go. But that's the thing. It's like, but I think that's with anybody, though. Yeah. Like, you just, and it doesn't, and you don't have to grow up. Yeah, you feel me? Like, you don't, <laughs> you don't have to grow up tough to develop that. Yeah. You know, honestly, it's endurance. Yep. You know how many people fall off yeah. doing comedy, doing anything? No. It's like, guys, you ever seen the, the Iron Man movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember in the beginning, this motherfucker was in the toughest of, of situations. Mm-hmm. He got kidnapped and by his by one of his own mans, mm-hmm. you know, that put yeah. him on because he, his boy got jealous and he wanted his money. Mm-hmm. He was in that cave, kink, kink, every single day until eventually he got out the cave. Right. That's all it is. People think there's secrets to the business of getting broken in. Like, yo, yeah, you want to have, you want to be different. You want to sound different. You want to be good. You want to be all. Listen, there's a lot of dudes that aren't that fucking good that Mm -hmm. are on. Yeah. And the main reason why they kept doing it. Mm -hmm. And eventually somebody saw them and they got lucky. Right. And then they got groomed. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. I took my mentality from New York and brought it to Connecticut. I got pop. I got put onto so many different spots so quickly. But the white guys I was surrounded by, they were nervous about me. Hmm. And then I got in my head a little bit, but I still kept going. And that's how I. That's, it's endurance. Mm-hmm. You just do it. 
And then when I, but my purpose, my one of my main purposes for leaving too was to get my mind right. Right. So when I came back, I met my therapist, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Amaya. She's a fucking beast. Mm-hmm. Been seeing her for about nine years now. Come next month. Then I realized in 2017 what my diagnosis was, which is borderline personality disorder, and everything changed. Can you explain what that is? Because I, I see you on Instagram, and you're almost like a you're an advocate for mm-hmm. awareness in regards to that. Because, shit, you got to be aware when I walk into a room that a crazy person's with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 I'm not, I tell motherfuckers straight up, mm-hmm. I'm not wrapped too tight, man. Yeah. But I'm okay with that. So, like, borderline personality disorder is is a it's a man made disease. Mm-hmm. It's it's love this guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's basically it it comes from um trauma traumatic experiences over time. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it just creates different levels of um traumas and like I call it craters in your brain. Right. Because you know the traumas that exist sort of if you already have the biological issues which i have was bipolar and all adhd mm-hmm. it's sort of like it's built off of that in a sense mm-hmm. so borderline is basically where like you just have massive mood swings mm-hmm. at, a, at a moment's instance um the relationships that you create with people are often in question and it's tough to love it's tough to be around certain people like you often have disassociation mm-hmm. which is sort of having an out-of-body experience and the thing about it is it's a very controversial um, diagnosis because they don't think it's real. But this shit is real. And then also, people don't want to treat people with borderline. I have people tell me some most craziest shit to my face. Like, you'll never find love. Don't tell anybody that you have it because they'll treat you differently. How, how have you been with the same person for 19 years? Like, people will say something. And like, oh, you're manipulative. I had one person tell my girlfriend that... She used to work with borderline. She said, "I would never work with them again. They're manipulative. They got me. They they got me. She they got me fired. They're awful people. They're terrible. They don't know how to. The only people they care about are themselves." To my girlfriend. Damn, dude. You see what I'm saying? Did you drag them. I wanted a fist fighter. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But but she's ignorant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing, and this is how I got through the endurance part of it all. If I would go ahead and talk shit about her and say how awful she is. Mm-hmm. Then I am no different than her. Right. Now, straight up. You eventually, yep. if you have enough malice and rage and anger in your heart, you eventually become the thing that you hate. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. and DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is living cognitively within mm-hmm. those extremes, helped me out tremendously. Mm-hmm. So the New York experience. So as a kid, dealing with that, you know, all that shit, drama, trying to break into the business when I was young. Mm-hmm. Moving to New York, going to Florida, mm-hmm. going to New York City, mm-hmm. and then learning my diagnosis, mm-hmm. it all worked out together. Wow. Damn. <laughs> so there's a plan and a purpose for everything. Everything. You can't run from destiny. Mm-hmm. No matter, I've tried to run from comedy many times, but the thing is, it's like being an advocate, and I appreciate you saying that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's who I am. Maybe the one man, maybe, you know, who knows? And I realized over time that, yo, none of this shit is real, yo. Mm. Yo, yo, nothing matters. What do you mean? Nothing matters. Dive into that. (laughs) I think think we need to unpack that. Posting that (laughs) thing on the wall and walk away. Yeah, and it was just like, (laughs) but that's what I want to do, right? It's like, yo, 
Just like in the Matrix, there's, there's no, there is no spoon. There is no spoon. All right. Hey, nothing matters is if I go ahead and hit you, mm-hmm. you can react in however way you want to react. Mm-hmm. It's just me hitting you. It's behavior. Right. Our minds make that particular situation matter mm-hmm. because of the things that we've created over time. I hit you. Over time, man has said that if I hit you, that's wrong. But you ever get hit by a girl and she's like, stop. And then you're like, oh, yeah, she likes me. Mm-hmm. You see how it, do- it doesn't matter. Right. It matters however you think you want to make it matter. Right. Huh. You get what huh. I'm saying? I, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's, <laughs> yo, our brains give everything meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And life is meaningless. Mm-hmm. But our brains and social norms and the way societal things have taken place over time, mm-hmm. give it meaning. I say a term, let's get these hoes. Mm-hmm. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> people think it's like they, people like start defending these theoretical hoes. It's right. like, wait a minute. Why would you say that about women? What woman? What woman? <laughs> who? Tell me who these people are. Well, it's a negative connotation because you're putting them down. It's like, no, I, I spell it H-O-E-S, which is like garden hoes. <laughs> I have it on a shirt. It's like, oh. <laughs> but they give it, they, but they gave it that meaning. I see what you're saying. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So and when I've damn. realized it over time, it's like, yo, these guys get adapting the societal narratives, norms, norm, normalities of over the years, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Conditions us to feel, think, react a certain particular way. Oh, yeah. being said. Right. If Kyle Rittinghouse would have killed a couple black people, oh my God, it'd have been crazy. The mm-hmm. meaning that we would have given behind that. Mm-hmm. The racial, but we couldn't get that. We could, we, we're like 80% men as black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we want to be all the way, but we can't. Right. You know, But because then what are we mad at? Mm-hmm. We're not mad at Rittinghouse. We're mad at the system that created Rittinghouse. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the meaning that we need to tackle. Mm-hmm. Why, do they have, why does the system have so much power and meaning over us? Why does it govern over us the way it does, man? Right. So... That's what it is. You just, none of it means anything, man. It's mm. just what you give it. What matters is what matters to you. And over time that it doesn't matter, like you literally have to wait for your spot. Yeah. They'll choose you. They'll, they'll find you and they'll choose you. All right, man. Man, that's, that's, that's deep, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, good, that's some good stuff, man. So I've been yes. sitting here silently this whole time. I'm sorry. I'm just I like completely blown away. Like, <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm just like letting it all wash over. Like, so, so holy I, I did, shit. I did have a question about you know, upcoming comics and things of that nature, like advice that should we give them? I, I mean, I feel like he I walked us through exactly he, how you do that. How you do that? going through your story. I tried to be clear. Forgive me. I'm sorry I took over. No, Rob. Don't yeah. apologize. So, how much do you incorporate your personal story with your art? A hundred percent. Hundred percent. If I wish there was more more numbers that I could use to go above it, everything is life. Life life imitates art. Mm-hmm. Lenny Bruce once said, "There was a time I stopped being a comedian and I became Lenny Bruce, hmm. and I'm becoming Rob Santos. If I'm not holding on a half a mil by next year, I'd be mad." Huh. And I only say that because it's like I know my value, I know who I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm confident. And that's a powerful thing to have. Oh, knowing yeah. Knowing who you are, knowing your worth, mm-hmm. and being confident within that and okay with it. Oh, yeah. Flaws and all. Right. Like, yeah. the thing about it is, I, honestly, because I did, if I would give any comedian advice, and this is so, they said the same shit when I came up, and it doesn't fucking stop. It's so crazy. 
keep your eyes on your own paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just run your own race, man. Put mm-hmm. those blinders on. What happens is we start equating ourselves to other people, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter, yo. They, what they're doing, yo, all the guys that, yo, Pete, all these guys that are put on and doing stuff, they don't owe me shit. Mm-hmm. But, and all of a sudden, maybe, like, you call them up and it's like, doo doo doo. The number of you re- have reached, it's like, you know, <laughs> like they forget about you, man. Yeah. And that's kind of like what happens because, you know, you just don't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so you got to refocus on your own, like you said, mm-hmm. keep your eyes on your own paper. Right. You know, my degree of separation from guys like Dave Chappelle is one. Mm-hmm. I know guys that open for him. I know guys, I worked with guys that have shot stuff for him. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've, and it's like all coming together and you encompass this. Uh, you encompass this, this way of being afterwards because once you start understanding that, then it helps you feel better. But any comedian, any artist, any it doesn't yo, if you want to go ahead and get a job at fucking Taco Bell and be the best at, at that, be the best at that, man. Mm-hmm. Just don't worry about other people. Mm-hmm. Do your thing and get just like Iron Man. Kink, kink, mm-hmm. kink, and just keep working. That's the only thing that matters. And then eventually something will happen. Mm. That's the problem. We try to foresee our own future and, and try to navigate it the way we want to. But once you let go of the reins, man, everything changes. Hmm. Well said. Wow. Well said. All right. So. All right. So we, uh, <laughs> we, we, we typically try to wrap up each interview with uh, the same three questions. Mm. Um, kind of short, rapid fire style. Sure. So uh, the first one is, what's your favorite part about Hartford? Favorite thing? Favorite oh, the West End. Hell yeah! I just, I just love the West End. I love walking out. It's just, feel, I feel pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? It's just a different feel, man. It's just like I, you know, you go downtown and downtown feels a certain way. You know, it's like oh, it's just okay downtown, and then you go to South End. It's like eh, just I come out in the West End. I feel like I'm at home. Mm-hmm. It just feels pretty. All right. So our follow up to that is if you could change one thing and one thing only about Hartford. Everything. Well, honestly, except for the music. Except for the music. No, I, honestly, this is the artist scene out here. Um, yeah. I would change that because there's, like I said, there's a lot of what I just mentioned going on mm. within that scene, mm-hmm. and the culture needs to r- rise up a little bit better, a little bit, a little bit differently, rather. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah. All right. So, hidden gems within Hartford that you would like to point out and highlight for the audience here. Oh, that's a good one. Fuck, that's a good one. I would say the museum, but no, um, <laughs> that's such a go-to one. Um, you know, shit. Damn, I wish I could highlight something because it's not that I can't highlight anything. It's so just, many. it's just yeah, and it's just a lot of things that. I, oh, for me, hidden gem for me, and the reason why I say it's a hidden gem for me because my daughter likes it. Mm-hmm. The, that walk from each from Hartford to East Hartford and back. Oh, okay. When you go over the bridge, yeah, I like that. Yeah, to me, that's that's a hidden gem because it just feel pretty. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's a, <laughs> you know, that is a great answer, Rob. No one has brought that up yet. Oh, really, I, I love that. Yeah, because <laughs> I think about like like we were talking earlier. Like everything's about feeling. Mm-hmm. Everything's yeah. about feeling. So to me, it's like, well, what makes me feel good when I'm in, when I'm in that moment with my daughter? She loves to go walk over to East Hartford and walk back, and oh yeah, it just feels good. Mm. Nice. All right, well, Rob Santos, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. This is really good, man. Appreciate you having us. 
Well, <laughs> yeah. had, see, that's how bad it was. <laughs> I took over the show so I mean, badly. You know? Well, we're gonna edit that. Yeah, part. yeah. No, Appreciate you coming on, man. No, listen, I, no, listen I'm, I, well, real quickly, I have a question yeah. for you guys, and if you can edit out your part, it's oh, fine. Yeah, yeah. How did you guys find me? I still don't know. The gram. Yeah, literally. Instagram. Oh, yeah. Instagram. Okay, cool. literally. literally. Yeah, yeah through, through social media and hearing your name and, the, yep. and, and being like, all right, let's 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 check this guy out. Doing hardcore Which, networking. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yo. Instagram, I, that's how you got to get it done yeah. around here. Listen, man, I see you guys on the grind. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's a blessing and a pleasure, and I'm glad that I can only just I can walk three minutes away back home. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, real quick before we let you go, Rob, we know where to find you. Where can our audience find you? Yes, please promo yourself. Oh, shit, I don't even do that. See, that's the problem. Um, go on robsantoscomedy.com. All right. It mm-hmm. gives you links to my Instagram, to my Facebook, or if you want to go to my Facebook directly, or my Instagram directly, rather. My Instagram is raggedy underscore Rob, and you'll find me. RobSantos.com, Raggy underscore Rob, and my show Beige, my web show Beige is coming out next year. Hell you got, yeah. You got, some, yeah. you got some things coming, happening in January. Oh, yeah, man. I got a lot of shit coming. Yo, listen, the stuff that's going to come out next year, man, my one man, Beige, you're going to see the business of Rob Santos pop through. That's All right. Sure. Looking forward Can't to wait. it. Cannot wait. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you. That was a fascinating interview. What's happening this week, man? So, Winterfest Hartford has returned to Bushnell Park for its 11th year of free ice skating, free skate rentals, free classes, and more. Running 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. now through January 2nd. Winterfair, Hartford's holiday market, is an all-ages market on Pratt Street and Trumbull Street, downtown Hartford packed full of opportunities to shop small this holiday season, as well as holiday-themed events and activities, running now through December 31st, noon to 8 p.m. The Wadsworth Athenium Museum of Arts Festival of Trees and Traditions will begin this Thursday and run through December 12th. All items featured are for sale, and profits help fund the museum's special exhibitions, education programs, and operating expenses. Tickets are $5 for Hartford residents and members, and more information can be found on the museum's website. Holiday Light Fantasia returns to Goodwin Park this Thursday as well. The two-mile show transforms the park into a drive through wonderland of holiday spirit with a beautiful collection of over one million lights. It runs every Thursday through Sunday, 5 to 10 p.m. until January 2nd. Admission is $16 per car in advance, $20 at the door, and all profits benefit the Channel 3 Kids Camp. Hartford Stage is presenting a live 1940s radio show style rendition of the classic holiday film It's a Wonderful Life, beginning this Thursday and running through December 26th. Tickets start at $30. Visit HartfordStage.com for more information. Also beginning Thursday, a twisted holiday tradition returns to Theatre Works Hartford with Christmas on the Rocks, a delightful parody featuring the characters from your favorite Christmas specials, now all grown up. Christmas on the Rocks runs through December 23rd, and tickets start at $40. Visit TheaterWorksHartford.com for tickets and more info. Starting Friday, December 3rd, and running through the 19th, the Curioporium on Park Street invites you to an evening with Krampus, a 90-minute guided theatrical experience which will transport you to the home of Krampus in the Black Forest of Germany. Tickets start at $25. Visit Curioporium. Dot com. That's C-U-R-I-O-P-O-R-I-U-M.
IUM.com for tickets and more information. And finally, this Thursday through Sunday, the Hartford Symphony Orchestra presents Tchaikovsky and Greed, featuring the Act 1 finale from The Nutcracker, as well as selections from Pierre Gint and Greed's Piano Concerto Opus 16. Tickets start at $35, and more info can be found at hartfordsymphony.com. Until next time, I'm D-Rock. This is Cam. And you've been listening to The The Heartbeat. Heartbeat.